online radio that makes you happy. And welcome back. We have an interview for you today. We have Ed Monster on. And we're going to be talking David Koresh. If you all don't know who David Koresh is, you must not uh, be reading your history books if you're young, or you just must have been drinking while the whole thing was going on. But uh, let's welcome Ed Munster to the show. How you doing, Ed? Hey, how's it going, Hollywood? Oh, pretty good, man. When I seen you wanted to talk about this, I was like, oh, wow, man. We got to get him on. And uh, this must be an interesting interview. So <laughs> what was your uh, relationship with David Koresh? Man, it was purely musical. We were friends, you know, initially when I first met him. Mm -hmm. he, uh, I was playing at a club in, uh, in Waco, Texas at a, at a mall strip they had there. And he come walking in with his entourage and, and uh, my band was up there in its second set and he come straight up to the stage, man, stood right in front of us and, and kept watching. And then when we took a break, he asked me if I'd come over to have a beer with him. And uh, he had invited me to come out to his place to come check out his studio. And it, uh, he was looking for musicians to help him out to finish his CD. That's mm -hmm. how I initially met him. Now, what's the name of your band? The band I had then was called uh, Blind Wolf. Mm -hmm. What do the you band got now? I have now is called an Outlaw Rider. Rock on, and uh, what kind of music you play? Uh, we play uh, biker rock, man, biker blues. We we play a lot of rallies up here in DFW, uh, weddings for bikers. We play a bunch of, uh, of the clubs here around town, 2500 Club, Fuel. Rock and roll. Like I mean, we all ride, all, all of us are lifetime riders in the band. I made sure when I put the band together that it was people that could uh, – that represent what we were trying to, to come across with our message. And all our songs are, you know, about it, man. Riding, being free. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll, man. You're going to have to send some over. I'll play it on the air for you guys. Uh, Definitely. What? Now, you know, you said you met with him. Uh, he wanted you to come down to the studio. Now, was that at the compound? Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, rode out there. Me and my buddy went out there about uh, two or three days later. Rode up and... You know, when we first came up, we were a little bit floored, man, because the place was pretty huge. And uh, I wasn't expecting that many people to be living out there. Mm -hmm. What was the compound and, uh, like? Uh, it was a really cheap built building. They used uh, uh, mobile home material, mm -hmm. old mobile home material to put together. It was like uh, siding out on the, on the outside. It didn't have, you know, hardly any insulation in the walls, man. It was just a really cheap building. Mm -hmm. but a big one i mean it was all just you know kind of hodgepodge together right what was uh now they were uh called uh, the branch davidians and yes, what sir. was uh their purpose were they a called church or you know what have you you were there when david introduced it and talked about it it wasn't a cult for him it was a uh a gathering of of uh followers you know for him that they all believed in unison and he w he wasn't real specific on on what their beliefs were at first you know it got to where uh i started coming out and i started playing some music for his cd and he'd start preaching to me a little bit and i tell him you yeah, know david i'm not really into religion man i grew up around that stuff and you know it just kind of shied me away from it mm -hmm. i saw the worst of the worst there and uh, so he would back off. You know, he didn't try to push it for me. Then uh, 
the longer I played with him, the more he, he, you know, would, would try to do it. And then once he found out I was ex-military, I'd been in the army, he really started pushing me for me to come out there, asking me if I wanted to move out there, bring my family. By then, you know, I'd, I'd already talked to, uh, other folks in there. I'd made friends in there with some of the people. And so I kind of knew what was going on with their wives. Now I had no idea about children. I never saw that, you know, mm-hmm. so I can't say for a hundred percent other than, you know, what was on when I was on Phil Donahue and they had brought those guests on there that, that, uh, said that, uh, David had impregnated one of their 15 year old daughters or something. Mm-hmm. That, that was the first time I'd ever seen any of that man or heard anything. Now you said uh, you know what was alleged going on with the wives, or what was going on with the what? Oh yeah, because when I was in there, man, all the guys, you know, they they lived on the left side of the building by the kitchen, across from the their kitchen area, mm-hmm. and they had bunk, they had a uh, small bedrooms with a uh, four uh, two bunk beds in there, uh, four four beds total, and they slept four to a room, and then David was on the right side of the building upstairs, and all the women were on his side. <laughs> so he's King so, uh, Pippin at that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He kept all the women, dude. And that was, uh, I guess, one of the requirements for when they came out there. If they had a wife, they had to give their wife to David because David believed he was the lamb. And he believed that all all uh, women were the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. And he and I would have, like, uh, you know, biblical arguments, man. He'd, he'd be, you know preaching to me and I tell him, David, I said, man, you know, or are you trying to sit here and tell me that you're Jesus Christ? He goes, no, no, I'm the lamb. I said, well, the Bible says the lamb is Jesus Christ. And he kind of just looked at me and kind of grinned. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, did he so, actually I mean, they, believe that? Did David? Yeah. Man, it's hard to tell with him. I mean, because he died for it. So I, I would think that Maybe he did, you know, possibly deep down he did believe it. I mean, because he had these people, uh, I mean, under strict control. I mean, they believed it 100%. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was it like uh, when you were talking to him and you go back and forth to Baden and he had to know that you weren't falling falling for it? Oh, yeah, yeah, he knew. He knew. And, and, I mean, David was a smart guy, man. I got to give him that. The guy had a a photographic memory. He memorized the Bible. So, I mean, I had held the Bible, and I said, all right, we'll check. Because he told me, he says, you know, this is my word. Uh, I know every word. So I grabbed the Bible, and I just randomly went through it, and I'd start a passage or end a passage, and he'd start it or finish it, man. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, that blew me away. But, I mean, I'm smart enough to know that, well, the dude had photographic memory. There was nothing magical about him or Right, right. Divine or, you know, anything like that. Mm-hmm. He was just an ordinary dude. My mom, I didn't catch on to the cult thing till I went to my mom. She lived about five miles from where David lived. And I went out there and I went to visit my mom and she told and I told her about this guy I met out here. It's got this huge studio. He's offered me music gear to come out here and put some tracks on his CD. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she goes, uh, what's his name? Where's he at? And I told her, and she goes, no, no, he's a cult leader, son. Don't go out there. He uh, he shot somebody and got that place out there. And that's when I learned, you know, who David really was. Mm. How how big was the compound? How many acres? Uh, it was pretty huge, man. I don't know the exact acreage of it, but I would say it was at least up in the 12, 15 for, you know, where he was. What The, the property that they had in, you know, uh, fenced up. Mm-hmm. Man, that is freaking I mean, they huge. Had a, 
You know, they had tunnels, man. They had a bus. That's when David showed me the place. Once he got to know me and he figured out I wasn't, a, you know, a law or nothing like that, undercover or anything like that. I was a real, you know, musician coming out and hanging out to jam. He actually started showing me around the the, the house and stuff. He even took me upstairs and showed me all his weapons, man. He had AK forty sevens, MR fifteens, all these guns stacked up in tree. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he had the biggest room in the house. His room went over the women's rooms, and he had a stair stairway going directly down to them mm-hmm. that only that uh, he and they could access. Right. Then uh, the rest of the room went further back, and it went above the uh, the chapel area and the and the music studio area. And David had the whole back part of that room for all those guns. And I mean, they were you know you see the old movies where the soldiers are all sitting there and they got their weapons all stacked up in a tree. Right. Right. And David had like fifteen piles of those in, set up in that room up there, man. Holy. And God. then boxes, boxes full of. You know, grenades, all kind of shit. It blew me away. Mm-hmm. What did you think when you seen that kind of armory? I was wanting to know if you want to do some business. <laughs> Rock and roll, man. <laughs> With that kind of arm, armory, man. Uh, you talked about the tunnels and stuff like that. Did they, did he actually uh, show you where, uh, you know, because the reports were everybody went down into a, a basement or a bunker and stuff? Yeah, it's a bus. He had a bus underground. He buried a bus, and mm-hmm. that was their bunker. And, uh, yeah, I saw it. Uh my my buddy Shannon, he's no longer with us. He passed away a few years ago, but he had come out there with me, and uh, on on a few occasions. In fact, he's the guy that came out and brought his girlfriend. I told you earlier about that. right. But uh, uh, we were over there, and and uh, David came and he said, "Hey man, come here and check this out." And he took us through the kitchen, and you had to go through the kitchen. It was on the uh, I want to say the west side of the building, northwest, mm-hmm. and uh, we went down. And we went down these stairs, and then I, you know, I was, I looked, I saw the bus, and I'm thinking, man, we're underground. You got this bus buried underground. This is insane. Right. Uh, and he had, he had like a, a little tunnel that branched off to the right there too. He didn't say where that went though, so and I didn't ask, and I wasn't going through the tunnel because I don't like little small places. <laughs> right. Get claustrophobic <laughs> and stuff like that. There you go, bud. Did you ever? Now, did you ever play the events uh, when he was uh, when he invited you out? Did your band actually play it? We, uh, I would go and rehearse with David for his music, and we would record uh, guitar tracks. There were two guys there that lived in, in the compound that were followers, a guy named Jamie Castillo and another guy named David Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Me, my friend Shannon, Jamie Castillo, and Thibodeau started a, a little cover band on the side, and David gave him permission to go ahead and do it as part of me playing with him. And uh, we started setting up shows, man, after a couple of weeks. And uh, we came up here to Dallas to play at a club called On the Rocks. And David had actually came out. He drove his uh, his uh, 68 uh, Camaro mm-hmm. all the way up to, to Dallas and Deep Ellum to uh, that, that club and come to watch us, you know, and support, you know, the guys that were in his, his – uh, the two guys that were in, in the, I guess, his cult. Mm-hmm. And no. – uh, and I got Camaro, huh? video footage and all of that stuff, man. So a bunch of that stuff I'd sold after it all uh, went down. Mm. But he came up in a 68 Camaro? Oh, yeah, he drove his Camaro on yeah, At least he had and, uh, style. So cool. <laughs> oh. This is uh, uh, the kind of control David had over these guys. We came up here to play. 
we're heading back. David had already headed back. Him and his right-hand man, Pablo and Steve, uh, those three had came up in the Camaro. And uh, me, Thibodeau, Castillo, and my buddy Shannon, we jumped in my, my uh, van, and we started heading back. Well, we stopped at a uh, jack-in-the-box. And uh, Castillo and uh, Thibodeau were both like, uh, man, we can't eat here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, David has us on a special diet. We can only eat certain foods. We can't eat this kind of food. I said, oh, well, dude, we're hungry. We're eating. <laughs> we started to order. And they're back there like little boys, you know, talking amongst each other. And then, the, you know, he kind of, Castillo comes up timidly and, you know, kind of leans forward. And he says, hey, man, if we get something, you promise you won't tell David? And I looked over at him, you know, incredulously, man, going, what in the world, dude? Tell on you. What are you talking about? You're a grown man. You want a hamburger, get you a hamburger. Right? That's how bad it was? I mean, was? yeah, this is a, yeah, it was that bad, man. Holy cow, man. When Thibodeau met David in uh, California on the streets, Thibodeau was about 300 pounds, I guess. When he got with David, David put him on a diet and got him down to about like 170. Man, what, what, was it that their these, what was it that these guys got brainwashed, these people? And David just knew uh, how to talk to people, where to find out they were hurting, and, and how to, you know, get around that. Mm -hmm. Like with uh, Thibodeau, you know, Thibodeau was homeless. He was on the, you know, on the street. He had nowhere to go, so David offered him shelter. And in exchange, you know, Thibodeau was to to do whatever David told him to do. Mm -hmm. Holy and, and he did. Now, was, uh, now, you said California. Was David one of them hippies, like a Manson or something like that? At the start, it was like that, man, because they were actually living in a bus, and actually buses out in, in, the, in the wilderness in California. And, and for him, it was like uh, it was his, uh, his Moses trial, you know, where Moses was sent out to the, to the wilderness with all the, the uh, uh, Jews and refugees and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So for David, he felt like that was part of his prophecy, his second coming. And, right. uh and he he would match events like that in his life and and compare them to the to uh the the stories of Christ in the Bible and and associate them and would you know show people and uh and these people would believe i I don't understand how they fell for it so easily i mean i just i could I couldn't understand it so if they moved in with him, did that mean that anything that they possessed uh you know, Every money, possession. uh, possessions, all that was his? Everything, yeah, even their wives. Mm -hmm. And apparently their kids. Man, holy cow. And uh, the men just stood by, and that's the way it was. Yeah, but there was some some problems, man. Uh, one of his guys, Steve, one of his, and Steve was a, a really smart guy. He had a, an education uh, from Harvard. And he, he had been a lawyer. So, I mean, the guy was extremely intelligent. And that, you know, alone made me wonder, you know, how is this guy falling for this? He's, he's a really smart guy. I can tell from talking with him. But Steve started having a problem. When uh, Steve and his wife had been trying to uh, have a child before they came to David, and they, they I, I guess, couldn't conceive. And, uh, well, David got his wife and, and knocked her up, and Steve... I had issues with that, man. I started seeing problems between them two guys. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, he couldn't have a kid, but uh, David uh, gave him, gave her one. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man. And then told, you know, and then said it was a miracle because apparently she couldn't Mm. uh, have children or something. Man, he had these people, I mean, just blindfolded, man. It was insane. Right. Now, you actually visited, uh, again, you visited the uh, compound. You were hanging around the compound and stuff. Uh, How long before uh, that famous raid came? Man, I had been hanging out with David and them off and on almost a year. Mm-hmm. Almost a year. You know, going out there. Because, I mean, it, it uh, intrigued me, their lifestyle. You know, how they were not to the point to where I wanted it. I was just curious as to why these people wanted to live like this and what were they getting out of this, you know. Right, right. So it was a year and uh, then the uh, ATF started coming down. They uh, a couple of new guys started coming around. I guess uh, a couple months before the raid happened, and uh, David kind of suspected that they were they were law enforcement because he had mentioned it. I had come out there. Me and my buddy had rode out there. Uh, it was in uh, February. It was kind of cold. So it was early February, and uh, we rode out. And my buddy had his girlfriend on his bike, and she was like seventeen, really pretty girl too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get out there, and as soon as we pull up, uh, David was already standing at the door because he had guys at the gate with radios that would tell him, hey, you know, such and such here, somebody's here. Mm-hmm. And he met us at the door, and as soon as she got off the bike and he saw her, David made a beeline to her, man, and grabbed her by the arm, took her right inside, left us standing outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> took her inside, told to my buddy, hey, man, go get your girl. And he, he starts going up there after David. And uh, David's already telling her, "Hey, you know, uh, I'm a preacher, and uh, we have church out here. I'd like to get you out here, and, and uh, you know, get because David's real subtle when he first started. Mm-hmm. You know, he he knew how to work it, man. He would come off subtly at first and just work at you, chip at you, right? Like a hammer and a but he a stone. He, he beeline for that girl. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And then uh, when he wouldn't quit." I finally got up and told him, I said, David, man, what the, what the hell are you doing, dude? This is my friend's girlfriend. You're sitting there fucking with her. And uh, David's like, hey, this is none of your business. You know, the, I'm I'm the lamb and all brides are, 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 are for Christ. And uh, I told my buddy, I said, man, you need to get your girl. We need to go. Because David started getting really agitated. He found out that my buddy and her were, you know, really involved. And it really pissed him off, man. He just kind of lost it. He started yelling at my buddy, how dare you ruin this girl? She's going to go to hell now because of you. And, and uh, I got in between them. I said, Dave, you need to back off, man. Mm-hmm. And David got in my face. You're in my house. I, you don't tell me to back off. He started heading for the stairs. Me and my buddy took off, grabbed his girl. We left because I knew where Dave was going. He's going to get his gun. Right, right. I mean, that's how he initially got the property. He shot the guy that owned it before and took that guy's wife. Mm-hmm. They started having an affair, and he ended up shooting, uh, I believe his name was Rodham. Now, was he charged for it, or what happened? Uh, David got off on self-defense, man, because the guy actually shot at David first. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, David got off on, so he went to jail, but he got out and was uh, released, and uh, they dropped charges on him, and and it was self-defense for him. Oh, my God, so that's how he got the property. Was, uh... Yeah. The lady that, uh... He took from uh, the guy he shot. Was she still alive? Yeah, she was. She was still alive. In fact, uh, he married her there on the property. Like he did all the other women, apparently. 
And uh, she signed over everything to him, man. Everything. Gave it all to him. The land. They tore down the building that was there, and they built the one that the bigger one that they had that you saw burned down. Mm-hmm. And right. they were constantly adding to it because it wasn't quite as big as it was when I first started going out there to visit them. It got bigger as the, the year, year went on because he always had those people out there working. They were constantly doing something. Nobody was ever sitting around. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, uh, you hear of the ATF raid. What was going through your mind? Uh, where were you at that point, uh, the whole nine yards? David had called me uh, that Friday. The, the raid happened on a Sunday. He called me that Friday apologizing about losing losing his shit and uh, asked me to come back out there. To I, I had my guitar rig still out there, and he said, uh, come out here, man. Uh, we made a deal. I said, I'd give you this rig for, for recording. You, you came through on your deal. Go ahead and come get your rig, man, if you don't want to come hang out anymore. I understand. I said, all right, man. I said, I won't be able to get out there until about Monday. I said, I have a show in Houston with my band tonight or uh, Saturday night, so I won't be able to. I won't be back till Sunday. Mm-hmm. He says, that's fine. Uh, come out Monday. Right. So we go to Houston. I'm coming back Sunday, and I stop uh, about, I was about 40 miles outside of Waco still in a little town called Hearn, Texas. And I go into the to the convenience store, and I see on the TV, you know, all this shit going on with cops, man. And I didn't really pay attention. And I look up again when I saw David's house, the compound. I'm like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And uh, the clerk says, yeah, man, it's going crazy down there. A bunch of cops just got shot, and they raided it, and they, they were all shot. And I was like, oh, man. So I took off and went down straight out there, man, because I wanted my guitar rig. I had a 69 vintage Tweed Marshall stack in there. Damn. <laughs> when I pulled up, they had two sheriffs blocking the road about five miles away from, from uh, where David was still. Mm-hmm. And uh, they – stopped me they said you get out of here this road's closed i told him i said man that stupidly i told him man i got a guitar rig up there man well they yanked me out of the car thinking i'm a cult member start whooping my ass and handcuff me take me to a tstc where they had their headquarters and the fbi was mm-hmm. started trying to question me and i don't talk to cops dude i'm just i've never been friendly with law enforcement that's just not my thing no especially after they beat the shit out of you Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, they started trying to ask me, hey, man, can you give us a map of this? We know you've been in there. We've had guys in there. And, and I said, well, if you've got guys in there, you know I wasn't a goddamn member, so you're just going to have to cut me loose. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you have pertinent information that we need. Uh, this is an investigation. And I said, well, first thing I need is a phone, so I call a lawyer. And uh, then after that, uh, you can talk to him. Right. Said, right now, I'm not saying another word. And that went on for about an hour, and I didn't say nothing, man. And uh, the two uh, informants came, came came in and told him, you know, man, this guy, he was just friends with David. He wasn't a member. You know, he really don't know too much. Mm-hmm. To them, you know, that's what they thought because they hadn't seen me a whole lot. I, I hadn't been going out there a whole lot when they started coming out. I'd already kind of backed off. Mm-hmm. I started seeing the shit happening. So did you recognize so they them? cut me loose. Oh, yeah, I recognized them, too. And mm-hmm. David, like I said, David suspected that they were they were law. Mm-hmm. So, so if so, he I mean, suspected he, 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 them, why didn't he do anything about it? He wasn't worried about anything. David mm-hmm. was cocky, man. He didn't he didn't never show them anything. They, the, the furthest they had gone was the uh, 
the entry room when you first initially walked through the front door of the compound. Mm. And then if you went straight forward, it walked right into David's. Uh, David's office was to the left, and then it went straight into the chapel. So the furthest they, the most they ever saw of me inside of that place was that uh, that uh, entry room and the chapel. That was it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so they come in and say, hey, this guy wasn't a part of it. They let you loose. Uh, and uh, how many Well, they let me loose. Kind of because they were they had uh, FBI sitting outside of my house for like a month, man. I, openly too, they weren't even hiding. They were parked right across the street with uh, binoculars, and I'm I'm just across the street, and they got binoculars on me while I'm sitting on the front porch with my daughter. Right now, uh, how long? Intimidation tactics. Right. How long did uh, so the people know? How long did the inc- the actual incident last before the uh, set to place ablaze? Man, it went for what? Just over three months. Yeah, they were in there. They were tied in there for a long time. Yeah, they were in there for for a little bit over three months, man. I know when, uh, and I kept a watch on it. You know why it was all going on? Because I, I, I didn't feel shit for David. David was, you know, David was David. Mm-hmm. What I worried about was all those people out there, man. There was a lot of innocent people out there. Uh, there was a, a one lady out there. Her son had starred in uh, uh, Aliens Three. Mm-hmm. And uh, his mother was living out there with David. She ended up, uh, I think she ended up walking out as uh, some of the people that were let out at, at some point. Right. So she didn't pass. She, she uh, well, I don't know if she's still alive today, but at that time she had gotten out. So mm-hmm. Now, uh, was any of the people that went with you on your band uh, tours, uh, like up in uh, Dallas, I think you said earlier, did they uh, die in that thing? Actually, both Dave uh, uh, Thibodeau and Jamie Castillo got out as it was burning. Uh-huh. They both come running out with their hands up. They're they're arrested. Thibodeau ended up turning state on everybody in there and pointed a finger and ratted everybody out. And uh, my buddy Jamie Castillo ended up getting 10 years. And then uh, when Jamie was released, he died a year later because he had contracted hepatitis while he was in prison. Mm. Ouch. But this guy, Thibodeau, and, uh, he turned... What did he give them? Yeah. Uh, he told them who uh, who was firing weapons when they initially raided. Hmm. Who were the uh, people that were in charge uh, after David had been shot? Because David had been hit a couple times right at the initial raid. So and, he uh, was hit? So he was, he was hurt, yeah. Mm-hmm. How bad? Well, he, you know, he lasted 90 days, so what did they have on him? Yeah, he did. They were taking care of him. They got him in the gut. And it was like to the side, and I think it went straight through, and then one was in his arm or his hand or something, and went and went straight through too. Mm-hmm. And wasn't he reciting the Bible every time they were trying to negotiate with the guy? Oh yeah, man. He even told him about uh, three quarters way through that he was writing the seven seals, and if they gave him the time to finish this, he would walk out. Everybody would walk out, and then and, and they did. They told him, "All right, all right, we'll give you that." But the day came where he was supposed to be done with him, and he was supposed to walk out, and he didn't, and it pissed them off. And a couple of days later, that's when they hit it with the uh, the tanks. Mm-hmm. Now, when they started coming up on the tanks, uh, did they start opening fire as well? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, they were shooting. They had a helicopter. They didn't have a mounted gun on the helicopter, but they had a sniper in the helicopter. People were running out, and this dude was pegging them off. There's video of it. You can see the mm. video of it. No, I'm and talking the ATF, about the Branch Davidians. Did they start firing back, too? 
when uh, by the time the fire had started, no, most of them had went down to the bus, from what I understand, because Jamie had called me from prison a few times and we had talked about it, Castillo, and uh, he had told me that when they started hitting with the tanks, that uh, they said they threw in smoke. He said they were blowing in fire. He said it caught fire automatically. He said, so the women and children were all rushed down into the shelter in the bus underground. Uh, I don't know what happened with David, where he had gone. I don't know if he ended up down there or mm-hmm. where they found his body. But uh, they initially said, after they had combed through the wreckage, that uh, David had executed his own kids and then shot himself. But that ain't that wasn't true. It, uh, it later came out that everybody in the bus died from smoke uh, inhalation. And uh, David had, had shot himself. But it, from what I understand, David wasn't down there with them. He was somewhere else when he shot himself. So they died. They were in the bus underground and uh, it wasn't sealed off. And that's why they didn't survive it. Yeah, they didn't have any ventilation either. He didn't have a, a, any type of a, a chimneys or smokestacks or anything inside of there, man. Any type of air venting, uh, AC, anything. Mm-hmm. So it was like a it was a coffin, basically. Yeah, yeah, it was a giant coffin, a, a tomb. Mm-hmm. So if he had ventilation and stuff in there, would, how would that would it turned out any different? Honestly, I don't know. I know as the people were running out of the, of the compound as it was burning, they had a helicopter in the air, and this sniper was shooting people as they were coming out. Uh, Castillo and, and Thibodeau survived because they came out the front. Anybody that ran out the back, they were sniping. <laughs> I don't remember. Did anybody get held accountable for that or no? No. Nah. None of them, man. And, you know, it disgusted me so bad, when, especially after the National Guard had come in and went against them. You know, that I couldn't believe what, what our country was doing. Mm-hmm. Now explain that to uh, people, especially the younger ones that weren't around then or were per- too young to remember. On, I'm sorry, say again. Uh, explain uh, to our uh, listeners who are you know too young to remember what happened or wasn't even born at the time what happened. Uh, why a lot of people got so upset with the government on this deal? Well, for one thing, the the government's not supposed to use the military against its own, its own uh, citizens, its own people. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, that was written into the the Bill of Rights, right? And uh, and this was and under they Cl- did this was under Clinton's presidency. Yeah, it was Janet Reno that actually signed the order and and uh, went through with it. She had gotten a lot of heat about it after all those people had died. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I mean, that was pretty much as far as it went. The uh, the head of the ATF, uh, Bob something or another, I can't remember his fat ass name. But he walked away from a Scott clean man, and I remember, we, you know, hoping, hoping that somebody would find these people and do what needed to be done. Right, right. So that pops <laughs> off. You see the big uh, image of the burning building and stuff. Was that a National Guard tank that the, they used, or was that a ATF tank? No, that was all military. They uh, went in, man. Even the helicopter in the air with the sniper was a, a military chopper. So they used that, and then there was, you know, you had Ruby. It was pretty messed up in the 90s with the government, uh, something some people need to worry about nowadays. Uh, was Waco PD involved in this at all? The sheriff's department was. Mm-hmm. They had uh, the, the initial raid was done by uh, 
a union of, of police, of law enforcement called Agriplex. And it was uh, what the FBI, the DEA, the IRS, uh, local law enforcement, the sheriff's department, basically. But it wasn't the Waco PD. It was the sheriff's department because it was outside of Waco. Mm -hmm. What was the reasoning to uh, go after him in the first place? There was a couple of excuses that first come out, man. Uh, They said that uh, a mailman had delivered some boxes and a box had fallen and broken open and a grenade had come out. Mm-hmm. And they said uh, the, the mailman went straight to the cops and told them. That wasn't true. The mailman was a friend of David. In fact, when, uh, when the, right before they got raided, David got the heads up because the mailman and, uh, had told him, mm-hmm. hey, man, there's a lot of cops down here. And uh, I don't know what they're doing, but they're all down here. And David got the heads up. They got all armed, and when they got raided, that's why when they got on the roof and everything, they were already, you know, David and them were already shooting straight up and taking those guys on the roofs. Right, right. What was the other excuses? Uh, a mother, a couple of mothers had come and said David was molesting children out there. Uh, another one was uh, the IRS wanted in because there, there was no records of any taxes being paid, and they, they didn't consider David, uh, an actual religion, so he wasn't exempt from the taxes in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was, you know, two or three stories, and no one ever confirmed what the initial reason was. Right, right. Now, for those that don't know, there was a lot of suspicion. You think there's suspicion of the government now, but in the 90s, there was suspicion. You had Ruby Ridge. Uh, you had a lot oh, yeah. popping off during the 90s, and this incident set it all off. Oh, it did, man. It would it set a whole new precedence for the, our government. Now, look at our police; they're completely militarized now. Mm-hmm. Right. They are basically the military coming against us. So they, now they don't have to call in the national guard because they've gotten so much heat on that. They decided, well, hey, let's just make the police military capable. Right, right. Now you said your uh, friend that was there that went to prison, he contacted Hep, and uh, he passed away. Uh, what kind yeah. of other stuff, you know, that you think would be interesting for the audience to hear that uh, was never put out there from the media? Well, Thibodeau, after all this happened, he kind of disappeared uh, because he had, you know, been fingered out as a snitch. Then, I guess a couple years later, he popped back up and he's all fat again, I mean, like 350 pounds or so. And he was actually uh, one of the consultants in uh, for that uh New David Koresh theory that had come out a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. So the rat got to turn into uh, an advisor. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it was it was disgusting, man. And me and Dave Thibodeau had been you know friends at, at one point, but after that, man, I just you know he, he had called me and I told him, dude, don't ever fucking call me. Hung up on him and never heard from him again. Right, and I'm taking it you lost your guitar in that thing. Oh, man, everything. My, my guitar rig, my guitar I had in there, it was all gone. Right, right. Then I had the uh, then I had the DEA, IRS, FBI all come in my house uh, five years later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tried to charge me with conspiracy. For the inc- it, for that incident? They were making it. No, no, they, they had been, I had noticed it throughout the years. They had kept an eye on me. But I guess as hostile as I had been to them and, and then uh, any law enforcement interaction I ever had is 
never gone well, man. I just, I don't like people trying to tell me what the fuck to do. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, they come up in my house, man, and I'm sitting, and he, they hit me with the, with a, one of the rifles and knocked me to the ground. And then that one guy gets on me, he's got his mask, and all I remember is these blue, blue eyes. He's sitting there choking me. I can't defend myself, so I just start spitting at him. <laughs> and, uh, so he gets off me then. Right. He gets a big loogie in his eyes. Uh, and uh, so they start kicking on me by then. My wife starts yelling and screaming. They all chill out. And they stand me up, and they're tearing my house all to shit, man. And and I told them, dude, I don't know what the hell you're doing. There ain't nothing in my house, man. Mm, right. And uh, they didn't. They didn't find a damn thing, and they had to drop all charges and leave me the hell alone. Well, are you still in the Waco area? No, man. I, I left Waco in uh, 2000, right after they raided me. Or they raided me in like 98. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 99, I left Waco, and we moved up here to Arlington, Texas, and we've been living up here since in DFW. Okay. Now, you know, you know, so you were around this Branch Davidian stuff, or you went through the place, you knew the guy. Did it surprise you when uh, Waco Twin Peaks went down, how heavy-handed the cops were? Oh, no, man. No, not at all. In fact, I was friends with a couple of those guys, man, Big Bear and Preacher. That with, I, I worked at a pawn shop here in in, a, in a Haltom City, and uh, they had a, their church just right down the road from us, man, and they would come to the pawn shop all the time. So I made buddies with these guys, a couple of the Cossacks guys, and they invited me out to church a couple of times. They invited me to go ride with them to Waco for that. And I told them, I said, man, I've got to work, you know, it's a pawn shop. I can't do it. Right. And then when all that went down, I mean, that's just how Waco is, man. So Waco's I mean, the got cops there, or, or they're nothing but heavy-handed prickor. <laughs> yeah, they're thugs, man. Yeah, they're thugs. Me and a buddy got in a bar fight one night, and uh, in, down there in Waco, off of a saw at a place called uh, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, we got in a fight. It came out into the parking lot. Uh, the cops came, sheriffs came, they broke it all up. They got me and my buddy in handcuffs. It had been raining. There's like these big puddles of water six inches deep all over the place because it was just a gravel parking lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm mouthing off to the cop. I mean, that's just what I do. Well, this cop comes and sticks his foot on my head, man, and just dips my head in the water and doesn't let me up for about 40 seconds or so. Damn. <laughs> Shut me up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what was uh, the similarities, you think, between Twin Peaks and uh, the Dominions? Uh, shoot first and ask questions later, man, was definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the, the big thing right now. Right. Because it's out of control. I mean, I got my CHL just so I can protect myself, not from the bad guys, or what what's considered the bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got to protect myself from all of them. Right, right. Well, it's a pretty uh, sad uh, state because the Gestapo, uh, I always call it a Gestapo action down at Twin Peaks. But I remember uh, that Davidian thing like it was yesterday, man. And you're right, when uh, the U.S. military comes against its own citizens, which is against the Constitution, by the way. Exactly. Uh, that really set off a lot of extremist stuff in the 90s. And the way the country's going now, I don't think it's going to get any better. I think it's going to get worse because, personally, I think we're probably at the worst part of our country's uh, history right now. Besides, you know, eighteen six, you know, eighteen sixty, right before Fort Sumter uh, popped off. 
I agree, man. I think uh, when they started doing all that, it set it up to where it made them grab power like they did after 9-11. I mean, I think that was just a big buildup from there. They mm-hmm. saw that what they had done, it started a bunch of militias that started after that. They said, you know, we got to get together. We're going to protect ourselves against these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at uh, what happened with the uh, all the cattle uh, free grazers. Right. When right. Uh, the government went against them, you know, luckily there wasn't a, a bad ending to that. Mm-hmm. They they were smart enough. The government was smart enough to go ahead and, you know, bite their tongue and back off. Right. They didn't want all that blood on their hands in the public. Now, if they would have got away with it without people knowing, I guarantee they would have done it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think yeah, this is don't uh, give a shit you, about us. You know, when people talk about gun control stuff, this is the kind of st- you know stuff you got to look at you know this is your government there's been incidences in this country where yeah you need to protect yourself against your own government yes you do so don't ever fall for that that, uh, control crap uh, it's just like that letter i believe jefferson wrote said that uh we have to uh water the tree of liberty with the blood of uh tyrants as well as uh patriots uh, yeah patriots Right, right. And I don't know. I just think our comp- our country's at that breaking point and I'm, you know, projecting 2020 might be the the flashpoint uh cuz people right now it's you can't debate anybody. You can't have a good debate. Uh it's always screw you. Everybody's the enemy now and it's not American. <laughs> it's getting bad. Well, man, that's a sign. It's that's a sign of the times. It's showing that people are fed up with government and they're trying to choose a side that they think's best for them. They don't understand that it's all of government, man. Government has gotten too big. Oh yeah, you know, one, too powerful. And I think, and I think the founders would be rolling over in their graves right now. Uh, I always say, and I repeat it all the time: if I had a time machine, I'd go back to right before they ratified the Constitution and say, you know what? Instead of getting away from a monarchy, you created one because you didn't term limit any people. And now you got a two party system that runs this whole country and it is just ruined everything. You know, I believe the United States could be a lot better if uh, it wasn't for this two party system. Yeah. When's the last time an independent has even come close to winning? No, it's I mean, never going to happen because they don't got the money and stuff. And uh, that's one no. thing I think, uh, and I, you know what, like them or hate them, you are actually seeing the elite, the obligarts, you know, American obligarts, freaking uh, getting all whining pissy because they can't control Trump. I think they're unleashing right now. I agree, man. I agree. And if they can come after a president, they sure the hell can come after you and I. Well, they went after uh, Kennedy. I mean, they didn't like what he was doing. He was going to expose the, the shadow government. Mm. He was dead within a few weeks. Now, you know, that, that shadow's government uh, squeaking in their boots because you got Barr and you got uh, others fighting against it. But, uh, you know, politics aside, uh, you, I cannot understand people who are for big government who wants the. You know, I just can't understand them. I, I don't either, man. I mean, <laughs> I grew up in a time where there weren't fences blocking off the lake. You didn't have to pay $10 to go visit the lake. Your taxes had already paid all that. You could go camp. You could go do, you know, have fun with your family. Right, right. Nowadays, you can't do shit, man. There's nothing free in this country. And exactly. I laugh when they say the land of the free. I can only laugh at that now. 
Well, there's all, you know what, there's all kinds of other countries that are a lot freer than the U.S. I remember seeing that skit uh, where they were doing the debating and that guy went off and stuff like that. And, he, you know, how he went, you know, yeah. America's not the only freest one. But uh, it's time to take our country back. But we have a lot of lessons to learn from Waco Twin Peaks and the Branch Davidians about how the government actually looks at its citizens. Oh, yeah, man. And, you know, the way that they do look at us, we've already lost. They're, they're too powerful. They've got all the toys. Mm-hmm. They've got all the technology. They've got, you know, uh, weapons that can take people down by the millions if they want to use them. Right. If they feel threatened enough, they will use them. Mm-hmm. Well. And without regret or, or remorse, man, these people are not like us. Exactly. Well, then it's guerrilla warfare time. <laughs> there we go, brother. There we go. Well, well, one man's terrorist, another man's patriot. Rock on, man. Uh, well, I appreciate having you on the show, Ed. That was a hell of a conversation and uh, real insightful uh, into what happened. With Well, before I go, you said you were on the Phil Donahue, so uh, how was that? Oh, yeah. Man, I, Phil Donahue was great. Phil was – I was nervous. First time I'd ever been on national TV. I, I mean, I was – 21, 22 years old, 21 years old. And uh, so I was really nervous. And and Phil came back to the green room, sat with me, and had a conversation with me for about 10 minutes just to calm me down, you know, to get my nerves, and asked me how I was doing. And we talked about David. And, and uh, then uh, when I went out on stage, I was just as relaxed as could be. You know, I had my little Aussie sunglasses on, my hair long and hanging out. I went out there in rock star mode. Rock and roll, man. Well, cool. Yeah, the Maury Povich show was a whole different story, though. He oh. kicked me off his show. <laughs> Maury Povich, that fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, he kicked me off his show. Me and my wife, he told us to leave and had a security escort us out. Damn. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. It was real great uh, hearing it and stuff, and I hope a lot of people out there learn uh what their government's really about, man. And if you don't know about what happened with the Branch Davidians, you can see it everywhere on the internet. You know, watch it on YouTube, the whole nine yards. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, Hollywood. I appreciate it, man. Rock on. And that is Ed. And we appreciate having you on, buddy. Thanks, brother. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machapari, and if you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you'll probably like music, too. On Spotify, you can listen to all that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the Motorcycle Madhouse, the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Download episodes to listen offline whenever you want and wherever you are. Easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social media platforms like Instagram. And just search for Motorcycle Madhouse on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the your library tab and follow me so you'll never miss an episode of motorcycle madhouse spotify is the world's leading music streaming platform and now it can be your go-to podcast motorcycle madhouse on spotify and itunes radio
And hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview, and I learned a lot from that interview. Not only the government uh, portion of that, because we know how the government is. We really do, everybody. Uh, it's all about control. But another thing that I learned is you people... And I'm not talking about my listeners, because my listeners, they got some brains. But I'm talking about people are so easily led. It's pitiful, okay? Now, me personally, I believe in the old man upstairs. Uh, I believe in uh, Jesus, everything like that. And, you know, it, religion is a tricky thing, uh, especially with a lot of these uh, charlatans out there, and more specifically, uh, these prosperity uh, preachers that uh, go on TV, you know, they got millions of people, and they're having them sending all this kind of money, and all it's doing is buying them uh, Lear jets and mansions and stuff, so people, wisen up. Don't be such a freaking sheep, man. Really, use your brains. You know, I know there's a lot of people that want hope and all that kind of stuff, but the only way to get that is from within yourself and following your own path. Don't fall prey to these kinds of people, man. Really, here you had, you know, the, the you know... Yeah, there's two parts of the story here. You had the Davidians with this guy who was brainwashing everybody. Uh, you know, men were giving over to women to him. Give me a break and their kids, come on. But then, on the other hand, you had the government uh, coming in and attacking its own U.S. citizens. So it's like a catch-22 right here in that situation. But one thing I do know is what happened at Twin Peaks was god-awful that was government right there just running rampant over the rights of uh every biker that was there that day so waco don't have the best <laughs> when it comes to citizens rights i actually feel sorry for you guys down there i really do but i guess that's the the point of this show is don't fall prey don't fall prey to popular opinion or any of that crap. You know, I've been doing a moto vlog series on independent bikers. I actually got another one coming up uh, next Friday. And the first two, I was really amazed. Amazed. Because I've been doing some polling and stuff like that on some reaction to uh, what I've been saying. And it's just amazing that you got people out there that defend the, how can I say it, the popular public opinion. And, you know, everybody knows that I'm 100% behind motorcycle club rights. I, I'm out there preaching it all the time. But I also like giving the other side of the story on how independent bikers feel as well. And God, after yesterday's uh, video, they hate. You guys are hateful, you hooligans, man. Tell me about it. Boy, did you jump. <laughs> you guys were all over it. And my, I guess my point is, it's just funny how people just fall in line in our sheet, man. You guys... 
this life, you know what, the old saying, you're born alone, you're going to die alone? Well, you got to make your way through life on your own terms, man. You can't have people dictating stuff to you. You know, just because, you know, motorcycle clubs are popular in the biker culture and stuff. And again, you know, I'm an advocate, but that don't mean you sit there and uh, suck on a schwanz just to make yourself look good or feel better it's something i really don't get when it comes to people and i always say if you think this shows a propaganda tool for clubs you're totally wrong because i'm going to get both sides of the story i don't care who uh i you know wheaties i piss on because that's just the way this show is you know uh, are you gonna want to Watch a show that does nothing but praise clubs. That that's not me, because you know, quite honestly, clubs mess up a lot, man. They mess up a lot. We just did a story on Insane Throttle the other uh, day, where you know, an older cat he turned on his freaking club, man. And people see that stuff. They really do. People, you know, people ain't dumb now. This is the age of the internet. People get their news everywhere, and they're not, you know, they're not oblivious to uh, what goes on on the street, guys. That's what I think I'm saying. So, yeah, don't be a follower, man. Be yourself. Be you. You don't need a back patch to be a damn biker. How many, it, it always amazes me, and I think... Hollywood didn't help it either with the Sons of Anarchy, this Mayans crap, because everybody wants to go around feeling good about themselves. Yeah, you get a lot of chicks with the patch, but it's not for everybody. So don't try to act like it is. You know, like I talk in the next video in the series on independent bikers, it's actually called Independent Bikers Are They at the Bottom of the Totem Pole? Because I had a, a, you know, I had a follow right in and said they seen a video about somebody saying, well, independents are on the bottom rung. I call BS, man. Independents are actually at the top because they make up the majority of the biker scene. They're the ones out there that support the clubs. They're actually the club's lifeline, if you think about it. And I talk about that in the, the next upcoming video, and that's on Fridays when I do my moto vlogs. Uh, they come out at 8.30, so make sure you check that out. I've had some out, uh, you know, the last couple uh, Fridays. Uh, again, go check it out uh, for us, because I know uh, a lot of the platforms are uh, shadow banning us right now. A lot of people aren't able to see our stuff they're not being notified hopefully uh soon that gets uh taken care of but i think uh that was the uh, lessons i actually learned from this interview today was don't be a sheep man and you gotta raise the next generation to think that way because kids nowadays don't think that way man they're all freaking you know strung around by their peers and uh you know led around by popular opinion and they ain't doing kids no good man it really ain't it ain't preparing them for life to baby them or any of that kind of stuff so 
let me know what you guys learned uh, from uh, this video and stuff like that. Uh, leave your comments in the comment section below. Thanks for everybody uh, listening on uh, all the different platforms. Don't forget to catch us every Sunday uh, on Spotify and all the major uh, podcasting platforms. Listen to the radio show, new episodes at 9 a.m. So go over to HarleyLiberty.com with all your biker news. And, of course, you know, Monday through uh, Thursday here on uh, YouTube, we have our uh, biker angle with all the uh, happenings going on. Our thoughts and prayers are with uh, the New Hampshire Sevens family, the Jarheads Motorcycle Club. They're going to start burying their uh, dead today. So keep them in their, your thoughts and stuff like that while you're out and about uh, enjoying the weather. And be careful out there, guys and girls. Be careful. Watch the cagers. It's just getting nuts the way uh, things are nowadays. So with that, I'll talk to you guys later. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and share it for us. I'll talk to you uh, later. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to New Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open.